Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store. It's an open and shut case. Where? All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now. Please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, welcome to another edition of the Cyber Law and Business Report. And um, today is a special show. Um, it is the 35th anniversary of the blizzard of 78 that shut down New England for an entire week. Um, and so, but we have a great show for you today. We have. Um, we're going to cover um, the hot issues in privacy right now on the um, the United States side. We're covering um, the initiatives on mobile privacy. The FTC just released a new report on mobile privacy and guidelines for apps. And in addition, um, we're going to have um, – on the second half hour, we're going to talk about um, the growing continental divide between the U.S. and the EU on, um, on privacy with initiatives coming up. So um, we're going to be um, covering that. But first, we're going to start off with if there was a Privacy Hall of Fame, um, this guy would be one of the first inductees. And um, we're going to start off with Jules Polonetsky. And he's with the um, Future Privacy Forum. And it's great to have him back. Jules, um, welcome to the show. Um, so joining me, we have Jules Polonetsky. Jules, thank you for joining us. Jules is um, with the Future of Privacy Forum, as I mentioned, and um, it's great to have you again, Jules. Well, welcome back. Great to be with you again. Um, we've had quite an interesting couple of weeks in, in terms of privacy, and especially mobile privacy. Um, you had uh, just the, last week the release of the FTC report on mobile privacy, and um, which follows a similar report um, done by um, the California Attorney General, uh, where she makes uh, substantial recommendations on privacy 
and she says that um, you know, along with the the world has gone mobile today, eighty five percent of American adults own a cell phone, and over half of them use their phones to access the internet. Um, and but they also um, mobile environment also poses uncharted privacy challenges. And I guess while this is happening, um, your organization, the Future Privacy Forum, has actually been trying to help charter um, those challenges. You've had a number of, of forums on these issues already. And um, so I, I guess uh, you're not terribly surprised to see this, this issue all of a sudden emerge as the, the hot privacy issue. Well, we focus on uh, new consumer technology tech data issues, and um, mobile and mobile apps uh, have been uh, the focus of, I think, a lot of companies now for uh, uh, two or three years, and, and this is no longer an early adopter issue, right? Everyone's got a smartphone. Uh, more than 50% of the phones in the U.S. now are smartphones, and uh, obviously the number of apps sold uh, continues to uh, skyrocket, and unfortunately, um, the, the number of challenging issues that, that come up continue to proliferate. Uh, most developers, I think, you know, get it. Um, there's some assumption that we're talking about, you know, two guys with hoodies in a garage, but the stats show that um, lots of developers work for big companies that are creating apps. Um, lots of developers work for small companies but have lots of experience um, uh, and, and are senior people with, with a lot of expertise. And then, yeah, you got the, the folks in the garage. But I think the, the mistakes... Um, are being made uh, across uh, the uh, across the map. Uh, you know, take a look at um, um, the California Attorney General who uh, filed her forced suit under the California Online Privacy Act uh, against a major airline. Um, yes. Not not a small app developer, but you know, a global company with uh, presumably a giant legal team and a chief privacy officer, and yet they didn't have an app in the. Uh, they didn't have a a privacy link. Uh, as required by California law um, uh, uh, for their app. Uh, and then no, it's, when, it's worse than that, actually. <laughs> um, in order to be liable what, under the what, California law, you're only liable if you don't fix it within 30 days. <laughs> well, you're, you're right. Uh, she, she warned them, um, and then uh, uh, and they responded right away. Oh, yeah, sure. And then 30 days later, you know, there, nothing was doing. And so, um, and to add to to it, when they did respond, they took a link to their privacy policy, their general web privacy policy, and they quickly posted it to the App Store. And as your listeners who are on, you know, in the weeds on uh, technology and data flows know, if you take your general privacy policy, which probably talks about how you track users using cookies mm-hmm. and uh, and how people maybe can opt out of targeted behavioral advertising by going to a uh, central industry cookie-based opt-out site. And since apps don't support cookies, you've just told your users um, that you're tracking them with cookies and they can go here to have the behavioral ads turned off. Uh, Apps use uh, either device identifiers or Apple now has uh, an advertising-specific identifier. And that's what you're being tracked with. And to turn it off, uh, you either use the new setting that Apple provides called limit ad tracking, um, or you could go to an ad network site uh, if they're the ones serving the ad in, into a particular app and give them your device ID so that they remember you in order to not track. But they may yet have more legal trouble uh, 
because of the sloppy way that they responded. And they've been t tweaking and fixing the policy ever since. So you know, this is by no means a problem of small uh, developers. And I know that there are lots of privacy lawyers and, um, and privacy professionals who are taking a hard look now at their privacy policies and saying, how do I mobilize it? Um, how do I make sure this works? And, and you know, the, the, the announcement, you, you mentioned the Federal Trade Commission report that just came out. And along with that report, of course, was an announcement of an enforcement uh, action and a settlement against PATH. Yes. Um, PATH, you know, uh, a number of months ago uh, was criticized for uploading users' contacts uh, before presenting them with a screen that said, find your friends. Um, and, you know, the Android version of that app did the same thing, but had no problem because the Android download process automatically shows you screens that display the permissions that uh, an app is requesting. Um, Apple now has pop-ups for uh, not just location, but for context and the like as a result of this process, but you know, didn't automatically explain anything. And so the, the app, by uploading the context right away, you know, grabbed them before asking and grabbed them whether or not you said yes or no, um, and you know, as a result was hit with a, uh, uh, an enforcement action by the FTC. So you've got a lot of lawyers who are really trying to figure out, uh, okay, I got that I need a privacy policy. I got that it's got to be uh, available in the App Store. Um, I now need to understand that I, I probably need to tweak it to properly describe the app activity or the mobile activity. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, I better understand the different download flows uh, on Android and Apple because the same app can be deceptive on one platform and, and perfectly appropriate on another. That's quite a challenge, but I think what was instructive about the enforcement action, the settlement with the FTC, was it showed that here's a, a company that had gotten some major funding, but now had to spend most of it or a substantial part of it as part of a consent decree. You know, and, and the irony is, um, you know, they weren't violating a quote-unquote privacy policy, right? And that's often the case. I said this, and then right. I did something different. Um, their UI design, and Tap is famous for being a wonderfully, you know, designed app. It's beautiful. Um, uh, it was a mobile-first app and a mobile-first social network, and it's really a delightful flow. And, um, you know, so the irony is that um, because of their UI design, um, they were hit with this uh, very um, uh, substantial settlement. Now, it's important to note that they didn't pay a fine for the uh, UI and the privacy policy violation. The FTC um, uh, got a uh, settlement and a, and a commitment to 20 years of, of audits and so forth, but the FTC doesn't have the ability to issue civil fines. When I was the Consumer Affairs Commissioner in New York City, if a business has violated many of New York's consumer protection laws, I or my inspectors could just write a fine and say, here, you owe us money. Um, uh, we can give you a ticket. Um, the FTC has got to go to court and, and sue you, and it, it's got to have the Justice Department bring a case and, and so forth. And so that, that, that can be a, a big burden for them. Where the FTC did have a giant club is under the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And it turned out that once the FTC was taking a look and uh, analyzing the data flows and understanding how the app worked, they realized that the app asked for age, and if you said you were seven or eight, you were able to register. And some number of kids obviously had registered, 
And now the FCC gets to hit you with $16,000 fine per individual. So that came out to $800,000. Uh, and so this was really a not that interesting sort of pop-up case, right? They, 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 I mean, it was just right. blatant. They, they just collected information of kids and, uh, and get hit. And so they packaged those two together both the top of violation where they had the fining authority uh, as well as the um, deceptive practice uh, authority where they uh, had the, uh, the settlement uh, and really hit them with a one-two punch. Now, um, with, with this action and with the, the California Attorney General having taken action on both um, in terms of you know, the report and her um, guidelines for um, the mobile ecosystem, and um, and for developers, which the FTC also followed, um, are are we going to see this mimicked um, state by state, or do you think that this this will really just become the standard going forward, or or, or is there it, will this be a debate? Is it going to be pushback? Well, California has long uh, as the ninth largest economy in the uh, in the world. Uh, felt that it had every right to uh, lead the way when it comes to uh, privacy. Um, it, and it, California is one of the few states that has privacy uh, in its constitution as, as a right. Yes. And so, you know, although most of us would argue that the Internet doesn't have borders and you, know, you really need national standards, I mean, who's going to design their app differently for each state? Um, you know, the reality is that uh, when California acts, um, it is de facto a, a national standard. Um, California's data breach law, I mean, everyone's got customers in California. You can't ignore that. Um, and um, uh, so I think we're um, going to see uh, um, pressure at the federal level to, to get in the game. Um, the administration has committed to introducing a consumer bill of rights, and I expect that we'll see that sometime in the next couple of months. Um, the Consumer Bill of Rights, which is a very high-level proposal, uh, expects to have details filled in by different multi-stakeholder groups, and, and obviously there's been a group meeting now for a number of months to try to do best practices for apps. Uh, we've been part of that along with a lot of, uh, a lot of others. Uh, and if this group is successful, um, that'll be some evidence that the administration can point to and say, look, this works. You know, our proposal, which really tries to bridge legislation and self-regulation, um, uh-huh. uh, you know, has borne fruit with this code of conduct for app developers. Uh, and so now let's do a consumer bill of rights because otherwise you'll have a lot of different uh, state standards. Uh, I mean, it should be mentioned that the National Association of Attorneys General, NAG, uh, led by my local attorney general here uh, in, uh, in Maryland, um, has uh, said... Who's also that, been on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, has... has uh, 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 well, so I probably has told your views then about how privacy is going to be, uh, you know, his uh, signature issue. And so, um, you know, we saw this a number of years ago when I was the chief privacy officer at DoubleClick. Uh, we had a multi-stakeholder group of attorneys general. I think there were 17 uh, who uh, were investigating DoubleClick's practices, and NAG was going to support uh, legislation for uh, supporting uh, uh, bans or, or restrictions on behavioral advertising. And so, you know, back then... Elliot Spitzer was the the lead 
um, we we had the states really playing a very active role. And then for a number of years, the focus really shifted to Washington, and you didn't have a big um, amount of state activity. You know, some bills here and some bills there, um, but the focus really was D.C. And and now for the past six months, it's it's very much been a um, a, a state game. Um, if a bill is put in, you know, if new members of Congress decide to take privacy up, uh, I think you'll see the the focus shift back. But California is not finished. I mean, there'll, there'll be um, this um, report uh, that the AG's office did is, is not the end. Um, they've got plans for uh, more uh, activity uh, in this area. The, the AG has made this, uh, you know, a key issue uh, of hers. And um, uh, I can tell your viewers that, that there, your listeners, there, there will be not only more enforcement but more policy activity uh, from the office in the uh, in that office uh, in the upcoming months. I mean, she makes a point of stressing that California is the epicenter of modern innovation and that um, we have some of the strongest consumer protection laws in the country. Quote, while it is easy to conceive of innovation and regulation as mutually exclusive, California is proof that we can do both. We can innovate responsibly. Uh, that's close quote. Now, so it, one thing that strikes me is to what extent is um, this a reaction to maybe – the regulators' inability to get their arms around um, privacy as to the the what we consider the normal internet, the regular internet, the day-to-day, you know, the browsers and the, the things that are on a computer desktop as opposed to the portable um, smartphone um, internet. You know, by the time we figure out the rules for apps, um, there probably won't, won't be this unique business model of, uh, an app for your phone. Um, I just came back from CES, and there are apps for your car. And we just launched a um, a uh, smart grid privacy seal in California. Um, uh, folks who use San Diego Gas and Electric as their utility now have a portal that they can go to that will enable uh, them to download their data, to access their data, part of the Green Button in, uh, initiative that the Obama administration has, has pushed and that utilities have, have uh, used to help people get access to their own data, uh, but also to enable services, the, the Nest smart thermostat, uh, different home services and home devices. But, you know, how are those uh, third-party apps, how are those uh, new devices going to, you know, get the data? What are they going to do with it? And so I, I do think we need to recognize that um, this isn't a uniquely different environment. Yes, there's location that's now available, um, but where do you draw the line between uh, a laptop, uh, a tablet, um, a mobile phone, uh, a, a smart TV, and we need to be very careful when we do these rules to make sure that we're not uh, being myopic and solving last year's problem. Um, you know, when when HTML um, becomes you know an even bigger part, if it does, of the app ecosystem. You know, what is different? You know, I think what a lot of people miss is that you know the mobile app environment in some ways in some ways is safer than the desktop. I mean, these are these are apps that are generally sandboxed. They, they, they need permission, uh, although we can debate whether or not the platforms are doing a good enough job at, um, you know, navigating whether we True. give them permission or not, um, but they are locked into their environment. Um, and, you know, we need to be careful. Policymakers are looking to force the platforms to be the gatekeepers. And now that we have, you know, apps on our desktop, now that we've got apps for Office 365 and we have, you know, Mac app in a curated app store and Windows apps, um, 
you know, if we tell the platforms that they should be the choke point, um, you know, we probably want them to have some sort of a minimum bar. But imagine if, you know, you couldn't download a program to your Windows machine unless Microsoft had vetted it, approved it, and decided it was okay um, with all of its competitive products, right? I mean, that's sort of where we are, uh, you know, in some of the mobile environments. Is that the model? And look, that's worked, right? I mean, that's been very successful for Apple, for the iPad and the iPhone. But um, if we demand that all platforms, you know, police what apps can be downloaded, well, you know, it won't be just privacy. Um, uh, my former boss, uh, Congressman Schumer, uh, you know, doesn't like uh, apps that, that tell you about um, um, drunk, um, you know, um, uh, DUI stops. Um, uh-huh. uh, you know, yeah, it's public information, but he doesn't think you should have an app that will warn you that there's a sobriety check, you know, coming up. Um, well, I don't know, the Nation of Islam once sued me years ago when I was a state legislator, and, and I, you know, had some conflict with them. Well, am I going to go argue that shouldn't be that sort of an app, and and uh, you know every, every mm-hmm. country in the world is going to have some views. Uh, Apple's decided you shouldn't have apps that are related to porn. Well, should you know should should PC makers decide you know which sites we want people going to? So I think we need to you know come up with a balance that says you know do the right thing. Let's have some minimum bar, but there's an easy you know people are very easy to say well platforms why don't you solve this problem? Just don't let apps that do bad things or creepy things or discomforting things or things I don't like, right? In France, right. the Jewish Students League doesn't want, you know, uh, uh, things that allow people to say anti-Semitic stuff. Um, well, I'm offended by that, but I, I'm not sure I want, um, uh, you know, the government policing, you know, what people say and, and fining them or putting them in jail if what they say is offensive. So it's a, it, it's a uh, challenge. We need to take a short break. When we come back, um, we'll have Jules Poletsky, um talking about mobile privacy after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? <laughs> You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. <laughs> AimClear, the agency, brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding-edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. AimClear, this is how you sell with social. AimClear, this is how you sell with social. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G, digital.com. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com 
Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com. It's good to be king. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're speaking with Jules Polonetsky um, with the Future of Privacy Forum. In terms of the, some of the, the proposals that have been made, for example, the Federal Trade Commission, you know, there's been some, some press that you know, it's uh, a, a shot across the bow and uh, revisiting re, um, the whole do not track debate. Well, um, I think there's still hope that the World Wide Web Consortium Group, uh, which is having an in-person meeting uh, at MIT next week, um, uh, can can bring this to fruition. Um, Professor Peter Swire, one of our senior fellows, has been brought in as the uh, new co-chair of the group, and he's a guy who's respected on on both the industry and advocacy side, and he's been working uh, with a lot of the folks to try to find common ground. Um, there are a lot of people who just want to get something done here. Um, I, I hate to say I told you so, but a year ago, a year and a half ago, when this effort kicked off, um, we said, look, the chairman of the FTC wants do not track. Mozilla has said that it's going to be in the browser. Yes, there are some folks who are saying, look, it should mean don't collect anything. That's not really feasible. How about the industry announces now, fine, we have an opt-out system. It doesn't work that well. You got to go get an opt-out cookie. Opt-out cookies get deleted. People seem to be tracking using Flash. They're using uh, digital fingerprinting. They're 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 circumventing uh, cookie settings. Um, our opt-out solution is not optimal. Yes, we've just enhanced it with the icons that tell you that the ads are tailored for you. But um, fine. How about the user now gets more control and the user on their own can flip a setting and say, sorry. Um, I don't want any uh, behavioral ads. The industry hated it. We did an op-ed. They hated it. No, we just did the icon program. Um, today, that would be a phenomenal deal, right? Because today, um, the the uh, advocacy side is so skeptical that industry can be uh, trusted uh, and that if you track but you don't do behavioral ads, what other bad things will happen with that data? What are the sneaky things that might be done that really are intrusive? Or maybe the government will get this data and, and somehow use it uh, you know, against you. Uh, and if there's any compromise, it's going to be certainly more than simply just don't do any behavioral ads. It's going to be, and there's some certainly some merit to it. It's going to be um, uh, okay if you do this. Um, I certainly won't do behavioral ads, but I will also limit collection uh, and uh, only keep it for some very acceptable purposes. And I'll, I'll de-identify it or, or make sure it can't be linked after some narrow period of time. So I think there is a compromise there that can be had. Uh, of course, one of the challenges is that uh, Microsoft has turned the do not track setting on uh, as yes. default in IE10, and there are a lot of uh, groups that just don't like the idea of, uh, of doing so. And the question is, can there be some way to, to message it to the user? Look, my argument to the, to the companies are, look, we've got a problem. And it's not just that the policymakers want do not track. Um, the world thinks, consumers think, 
that something creepy or bad is going on here. Now, I don't think you're doing something terrible or bad. Most of you are just trying to tailor ads, uh, measure uh, ad effectiveness, do analytics. Um, you know, overwhelmingly, 99% of you are simply trying to, you know, sell somebody something and, and give them an ad that, that they might remember or that might be relevant to them. Um, but users seem to think whether you think all of them are clear on cookies or some of them are clear on cookies, there are lots of people who seem to think you're pulling something over their eyes, that, that you're trying to get them to click, or maybe this data is going to be misused. And um, someone's going to solve that problem for consumers. Now, maybe it's the browsers um, who, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day are competing to be, you know, the popular browser, the privacy-friendly browser, the security-friendly browser. Uh, and if they think they're on the side of the user, um, you know, they're not, dependent on your business model. And you can debate, you know, where the business model fits for Mozilla or for IE or for or for Chrome, but there are um, you know, folks driving um, uh, what they think consumers want, and those folks have a very visible product voice, whether it gets outweighed by other interests or not. Um, it clearly, it, it, you know, is making the argument in those companies that, hey, we got to do what the consumer wants. Um, there are plugins, there are downloads. Um, I saw recently statistics that almost 10% of all users in America are blocking ads, and, and in Europe it's far higher, right? So we can't be at war with people. We need to ensure that users understand that we're using data for them to help them to do things for them, yeah, even to sell them stuff, right? Nobody's objecting to Amazon tracking everything I do on Amazon and making money selling me stuff because I get that the point is to sell me things that I might want, and I understand. We haven't successfully done that, and icons and ads are a start, but they're not the end of a consumer conversation. The ad network can't handle the complete job of communicating to me via a little icon in a banner ad. You, the brands, the subscribers, the, the companies with consumer relationships who are the ones, you know, who are responsible. It's, it's, it's me visiting your site. Um, don't tell me go see the ad network to find out what's happening with my data. This is our relationship, right? You want me to pay. You want me to subscribe. You want me to, you know, be a regular user. So tell me how you're taking care of me. Tell me how you are really also like Amazon and how data is being used. You guys have certainly made a mark in the field of privacy in a very short period of time. Um, are you surprised at how, you know, how quickly this, this organization has, has been able to, to establish itself in a very crowded Washington market? Well, you know, I don't think it's that crowded. Um, the gap that Chris... Wolf, my co-chair, and I identified uh, four years ago when we started uh, was sort of in the center. I mean, there are lots of trade groups that uh, generally are representing business interests and believe everything is fine, and if the government gets involved, it will mess it up, and, and there's really no one being harmed. Um, and then there are certainly a lot of advocacy groups who think that the businesses are evil and the government's going to get all that data. There are not a lot of folks in the middle who both appreciate innovation, like new uses of data, like great apps, are, are excited by the benefits that can uh, result for society, for consumers, and yeah, even maybe more efficient marketing, um, but are also sensitive that it's not just about harming people. I mean, doing really creepy things should be avoided. Doing things that, you know, in the long term minimize our freedom or our, uh, um, our, our, our self-determination, um, you know, those are not good things either. I, I do believe that we're you know, giving up a lot of our privacy. Um, but my argument uh, is um, let's maximize the good. Uh, let's minimize the bad. Let's make sure people get value. Let's be fair. Let's be transparent. Let's, let's give people a fair deal um, and, and be credible about fighting the, you know, the long-term problem. So 
Um, I, I did think there was a gap there. You know, the, the only other group I think that is sort of in that center is the Center for Democracy and Technology, and, and uh, uh, we collaborate a lot, uh, you know, uh, with them, but are, are a bit uh, more focused just on the consumer tech data uh, angle. So uh, I'm not that surprised. I, I do, you know, my uh, community, uh, who very often are the chief privacy officers of companies, um, I think, you know, the folks who are really working hard to make sure that companies do the right thing, and they don't have all the answers. And so it's really useful to get those folks together with some of the best academics on privacy in the country with some of the, uh, the advocates who are ready to engage and see if we can figure out solutions uh, or at least recognize that there are problems that, that honest companies are struggling through. So, you know, we work on online advertising, we work on mobile, we work on apps, we work on de-identification, value of data, smart grid, um, uh, only consumer tech data issues. Uh, and I, I just think there's a, a huge appetite for uh, folks who, who want to be honest uh, about um, both the, the, the good and the bad of data use. Now, one thing that you did uh, every time you're on the show, I always mention that it was you were, you were very effective at, at AOL in, in trying to explain the complex issue of um, consumer privacy to consumers. You know, with, with um, you know, the, uh, the little cartoon series you had, um, but at a certain point, you know, we, we talk a lot about what businesses must do. What about consumers? Do you, do you think consumers get a passing grade on privacy, or or they really should be more vigilant? I think you can't tell people what they should be. I mean, we are what we are. You <laughs> That's know, true. Look, hey, like we should show. be. We should be more patriotic, right? Like I should read the Constitution twice a year. I care about it. Um, I understand that the principles in there are very important. I haven't picked up a copy of the Constitution since, I don't know, right? I mean, uh, occasionally right. something comes up and i got to look at some language. But, you know, I'm not reading it regularly, and, and, and I probably should floss my teeth every day. But, you know what, the, the, we need to make this easy enough that uh, it works for the people who are not sophisticated, um, the average user. Um, the example I often like to use is, you know, I rented a car in a strange city the other day. I'd never driven that model before. I didn't read the manual. Nobody, you know, lectured me that how come I drove the car without reading the manual. It worked. I knew, like, what to do. And, and if we can put people in these machines of death that can, you know, kill people or hurt ourselves that are expensive, and, and we figured out how to do that, why can't I navigate my website? Uh, why can't I navigate an app? Um, why can't this be easy enough to, to use? My nine-year-old, you know, she downloads apps, uh, and I don't, I don't have to sit and show her how to use it. Like, you know, the game developers made this easy enough that a nine-year-old can, you know, look for things and pull things down. Um, if we want data use, and, and we've got no choice, right? If this is just about websites and cookies, you know, all right, no big deal. But data is increasingly going to be playing an incredibly intimate part in our lives. Um, I was just looking at a, a pill um, uh, capsule that sends an alert to tell uh, whether or not you've taken the pill. And, you know, you can see the value for someone who's elderly or, or just someone who's sort of, you know, not so organized uh, and, and uh, you know, helps. Uh, but, hey, I can't have my devices in my home talking to each other or, or talking to my utility or, or talking to my doctor without me kind of understanding what's going on. And if it's going to be, hey, you ought to read that manual. So I, I you know, I, sure, let's educate people. But, but the way we educate people can't be sit down and we'll give you a lesson, right? That's not how most of us learn how to navigate, you know, interpersonal skills or, or walk through the world and make decisions about not bumping into walls, right? We, we learn to do that. The UI 
the user interface has to uh, give me an understanding of my data envelope and how I'm, I'm sharing and how it's likely to be used if we're going to have people um, getting the advantages of um, data use in our society. If people got to walk around on the defensive, how do I make sure there's no facial recognition happening? Well, what should I have opted out of today? Um, then, then we're in a battle. Right? We're in a battle, and, and anything that's a battle and that's hard to use or that uh, I, I'm worrying about, uh, you know, that doesn't have a long chance uh, opportunity for success. If we're going to be intimate, um, if Amazon is going to know everything about me and, and just anticipate and start sending me you know, things because it knows I want them, which I imagine is what's going to happen one day, just, just send me the stuff you know I need, please. Um, send it back if you don't want it. Or, hey, we'll print it in your house with a 3D printer. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to get the benefits of, of health, of, of understanding my genome so I can, uh, you know, uh, automatically get the, the right sort of inoculations and shots and diet. And, and you know, there's so many exciting things that are going to uh, improve the world. Um, if we don't figure out how to, you know, get the ethical rules right, and make it easy enough, enough that the average user can, can just assume things are going to work out, um, then we're going to be in a constant fight, constant battle, constant litigation, constant stress, constant you know, overreaction to you know, the, the, the phony threats. Um, so it, it behooves us to figure out how to uh, do this without making people sit down and get lectured. And, you know, look, where did you learn about sex? Did you learn about it in that sex ed class? Or did you learn about it by, you know, you, you picked it up. Your <laughs> friends talked about it. You saw this. You read that. You know, you, 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 uh, you know osmosis did it. We need privacy osmosis, not privacy education. Well, um, there is one thing we need to lecture on, and that is if people want to get more information about you, Jules, what's the best way to find it? Uh, our website, futureofprivacy.org, or, of course, facebook.com slash privacy, or I know a LinkedIn influencer where I'm regularly blogging on their new blogging platform, so you can find Jules Polanski on LinkedIn. Well, thank you, Jules. It's always a pleasure. He's been a, a privacy giant for a number of years, and um, you, your, your, your comments were very insightful, and uh, I want to thank you again and, and stay in touch. Um, keep up the good work. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Discuss and shape the future of performance marketing in New York's March 12th to the 13th at the Performance Marketing Insights Conference. Come hear from and talk to other global industry leaders as they share how they're developing new revenue streams, deploying the latest technologies, preparing for increased regulation, and leveraging for the most effective digital advertising channels. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners can save 15% on registration by using the promo code WEBMPMI15. That's WEBMPMI15. For more information and to register today, visit PerformanceMarketingInsights.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. 
Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. All right, thanks. And we're back. You're listening to Cyberlong Business Report. And um, we're going to, um, with the limited time we have left, we're going to be talking to, um, um, to get the view from the other side of the pond and what's going on on privacy in the, in the EU. And there's been quite a lot of activity in that area. And we're go- we have, um, we'll have with us in a second, uh, we've had some technical issues, um, Phil Lee, who's a partner in the Privacy and Information Law Group at Field Fisher Waterhouse. It's a UK firm. Um, he's based in their Palo Alto office. And um, do we have Phil with us? Well, we hope to in a minute. Um, and Phil is um, has a specialty. He is a um, certified information privacy professional um, status um, and Phil also is an expert in behavioral profiling and cookie regulation, um, e-marketing, and international data transfers. Phil, are you with us? Um, uh, good to be with you. Thank you for joining us. And um, so um, in the first segment, we had we talked with Jules Polonetsky about you know, some of the initiatives going on in, uh, on the mobile side. But you know, it seems there's also a lot of activity going on on the other side of the pond where in the EU you have Vivian Redding's um, initiative now being considered by the uh, European Parliament um, and as well as you have the, the French suggestion that there be a tax on data collection. So, and this, it's caused a lot of concern on, on this side of the Atlantic. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us an assessment of where we're at in terms of what's going to happen in privacy in the EU and um, and how far apart really are, are the um, the two major um, sides? Sure, sure. Well, it's um, it's interesting time in the European Union. Uh, everything to do with data is riding very high on this agenda. It's something to see what's happening there. I think what what's going to start is. The French government has to report uh, they have proposed on the collection and use of personal data. And really, the science is going through a sort of topic at the moment. And I think you know, what is driving all of this is a concern that a lot of the, the, the big sort of US internet clients like Google and Facebook and Amazon are creating um, huge amounts of revenue from. Their user base in France. Um, I think Google is reported to be generating about two billion dollars in in. Uh, um, unfortunately, we had some difficulties um, in getting that connection from Palo Alto, so um, we will have to um, pick that up another time. But there is a lot going on in Europe at the moment. You have the EU now finally considering 
uh, Vivian Redding's proposal, um, where we talked about earlier last year, which included the uh, the important concept of the right to be forgotten, and that people should should have that right. And something that you know, now um, something we, used to, we probably wasn't shocking to us five years ago, but now in the Facebook age, where all our data is just hanging out there, um, the fact that you know that that may be there forever is is an issue that's that is definitely um people are trying to get their arms around and so the the EU is taking a very aggressive position on that and then you have the um battles that Google has had with Europe over to what extent is their aggregation of news a violation of their copyright laws and they've entered into settlements where they've paid some contributions to you know, they weren't labeled fines, so they were labeled something more positive. But in essence, they were paying some kind of bounty for engaging in that practice in, in Belgium and France. And then Google also was getting tagged. Um, there's a proposal in France to actually tax data collection. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to explain in a short period of time, but um, it, it is, uh, it's caused a lot of trouble and consternation. And it seems that you know, year, you know, two years ago and a year ago, we were talking a lot about the Amazon tax because you know, that was where the money is. Well, then some Francis, you know, give them credit. They're a little more creative than us. Um, they're, they're actually now going for the Google tax. And, and frankly, that's where the money is. So, um, it definitely is, has caused some concern. How far this will get, we don't know. I mean, right now, France is in, in, in a total internal political battle over their tax system. They have um, famous actors like Gerard Depardieu, um, more or less the uh, Marlon Brando or the Robert De Niro of um, France, um, actually renouncing his citizenship and then moving to Belgium um, to avoid taxes. And you also have... Uh, um, Russia has invited him to become a citizen, and they're also courting um, Bridget Bardot as well. So um, it's caused a, a lot of um, debate there, and so that's it's going to be interesting to see. And this, all this happens at the same time of that we have the had the recent ITU conference collapse, where you know half of the world has signed on to that treaty. Um, which more or less gives the ITU some internet role, um, whereas a lot of the industrial countries in the West have not. And so you're, you're, there's a concern that what might be happening is a, a divergence, that the, um, for lack of a better word, that the Pax Americana that, that seemed to dominate the early years of the internet is, is evaporating, and we're having a, almost a balkanization of internet regulation, and which is unfortunate because this is one thing that truly is borderless. So, what what then uh, do you do? And I, I, when I was in China speaking to a group there, I explained that um, you know from space, you, you, one of the few things you can see that the man-made structures is the uh, the Great Wall of China. Um, but one thing you can't see is the border of when the Chinese internet begins and the the U.S. internet begins or ends or you know, EU and likewise um, because it doesn't exist. It, it's not a real thing. It's a construct. And um, But you know, all countries are entitled to act as sovereign, no doubt. But uh, how 
we regulate the internet and what role people, um, stakeholders have and um, us civil society actors have is, is it's something that's important and uh, I think that's an issue that has come up in the ITU. So you have this, this divergence and um, a potential divergence. The U.S. is in negotiations with the EU. Um, the EU Act, nothing hasn't passed anything yet. So this is all in the process. Um, but at the same time, you know, domestically, there have been some criticism of the Obama administration for actually voicing the concerns of industry over the EU regulations that you know, they believe that the Obama administration should actually be um, promoting um, the EU regulations as well. So uh, that's um, going on, and we'll definitely have to have Phil back so we can talk about this in a little more detail. But there are a lot of other interesting things going on in the Internet. One thing that's actually an interesting landmark is that the um, the Internet now, and if I, for, I'm going to do a very, I won't even bother to try the impersonation of Dr. Evil, um, from Austin Powers, but uh, we're, we're we're past a million dollars in uh, online e-commerce. Uh, we're now the internet is now a trillion dollar market, and you want to count those zeros, um, count each one, and enjoy it. Um, it's it's uh, amazing that this has grown so rapidly after the dot com crash just a decade ago. And China itself is, is has tripled in two years in the size of its market. So that's an amazing development. But the, um, another amazing development that has happened is that um, we are um, we are um, seeing the the ongoing and long time dormant dispute between um, Antigua and the United States over online gambling, which involved uh, Antigua actually taking the United States to the WTO and winning um, and getting an award of you know some um, several hundred million dollars a year has now escalated um, with after the U.S. Um, trying to stall Antigua for indefinitely, um, finally Antigua getting to the point where they said enough. Um, and they've petitioned the uh, WTO for authority to move forward and to actually start um, creating, which might be the equivalent of a, a pirate iTunes, in which they'll sell U.S. movies, music, games, and other media without having to pay the rights holders. And uh, so a dispute that goes back to the early 2000s is, is now escalating um, to the point that you might have right off our shore um, a pirate iTunes, and uh, which would be perfectly legal under the rules of the WTO. And obviously, Washington is not particularly happy about this. Um, and but um, they're allowed to do so up to a level of twenty-one million dollars annually. And I can imagine that they'll get that quite quickly. Um, but they've petitioned the WTO this year in January, and they've got approval to move forward, so they haven't done it yet. But um, Antigua has made a point of saying that at the height, at height the uh, remote gambling industry in Antigua was the country's second largest employer, and leading international gaming economists estimates the industry was worth over $3.4 billion American dollars to the Antigua economy. 
having once employed over 4,000 people today, less than 500 persons are employed in the gaming sector. The economic, the economic devastation has been caused by the direct actions of the United States. Um, so it is um, definitely a, a major uh, impact for them. And, of course, the United States response has been that government-authorized piracy would undermine chances for a settlement. It also will serve as a major impediment to foreign investment in the Antiguan economy, uh, particularly its high-tech industries. So um, the standoff is um, going to continue, but um, we're going to um, try to wrap this up. But I want to thank you all for joining us for today um, on the 35th anniversary of the blizzard of 78, which um, devastated New England, and we would shut down for a week, actually. It was definitely memorable seeing snow above my head. But any event, um, we are going to be back next week, um, but I want to thank you for joining us. This is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from sunny Santa Monica. Um, no blizzards happening here by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, But we'll be back here in Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach next week for another edition of CyberLaw and Business Report. Quarters adjourned, and I, I hope you will join us then. Cheers. <laughs>